Good afternoon and welcome to Improving Patient Communications as the cornerstone of your patient experience strategy, a health system CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Artera. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments anytime in the Q&A box, and we will take those later in the program. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 35 to 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Dr. Brad Crotty, Chief Digital Engagement Officer with Froder Health. Dr. Alistair Erskine, CIO and Di Chief Digital Officer with Emory Healthcare and VP for Digital Health with Emory University, and Guy Dizwerick, CEO with Artera. And then we will have our Q&A. So let's jump right in. Lots to talk about. Uh, Brad, would, let's start with you. Would you like to give us an overview of your organization and your role? Yeah, thanks, Anthony. Um, Freighter in the Medical College of Wisconsin, uh, academic uh, and community health system anchored in uh, eastern Wisconsin. Uh, we have uh, 10 hospitals, a flagship um, academic hospital, um, and we've been growing our digital footprint. I always say I want to start conversations not by how big our building and assets are, but by what, what our digital assets um, are. We've been working in the you know, building our own uh, digital engagement platform and, and app and finding the right partners, um, you know, for the last seven years or so, last three years, we've had our our, um, our mobile app, which we'll talk about. Um, I'm the chief digital engagement officer. And also we have a, a small subsidiary that we um, use for partnering uh, and uh, some digital building um, called Inception Health. And I serve as the president of that as well. Very good, Brad. Thank you. Alistair? Hi, my name is uh, Alistair Erskine. I'm the Chief uh, Information and Digital Officer for, for Emory Healthcare. And the, the organization is, um, is nearly 24,000 employees, 11 hospitals uh, in the middle of Georgia. Uh, we have just under 3,000 beds and over 3,000 uh, doctors. And just like many academic medical centers, 70 specialties uh, and just under 500 locations. And I've only been with the organization for six months, but we are on rocket fuel with the digital transformation of the organization uh, really well positioned to kind of get us to the next level. So this is this topic is very germane to the kinds of things that we're talking about relative to the digital patient experience. Thank you very much, Keith. And my name is Guillaume or Guy. Um, I am the CEO of Artera. I guess I have the privilege of having the shortest title here. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, company has, I founded the company almost a decade ago, uh, focused exclusively on healthcare. We do business in every state in the US as well as Canada um, and power communications for about 60 million patients around the country. Excellent. All right. Uh, let's jump right into it. Brad, we're going to start with you. The concept for the webinar is that some health systems now have too many patient engagement tools being used in an uncoordinated fashion by too many departments, and that the result is irritated and frustrated patients. For example, you might have your patients being approached on your behalf by telehealth vendors, maybe internally or externally by pay for patient surveys, patient education vendors, all of them may be communicating in an uncoordinated fashion. 
So that's the theory. Uh, how would you describe the current situation? Obviously, <clears throat> every health system is going to be different. You're going to have differences by size, very large 10, 12 hospital health systems. You're going to have health systems with one 300-bed hospital. Everybody's going to be different. We understand that. But in general, what do you think is going on out there? I think there's definitely truth to that sentiment. I, you know, I, I think if I share this reflection, I think many people probably also agree that, you know, uh, health systems are, you know, c- uh, collections of multiple businesses that each that want to communicate and market. You may have service lines, you may have individual clinics, you may have individual doctors. Um, and so we already have this problem going on, you know, at the, at the core of the business is how do we communicate and how often do people want to be communicated with and how do we do air traffic control of all the, the messaging and, and, you know, leave digital out of it. We have that problem. Um, and then if everybody has their own uh, digital, um, you know, app or, or, or for their service in particular, then, then that becomes uh you know, uh, a bit of spaghetti. We've also wondered what happens when someone is on multiple applications or on multiple care pathways and they get different answers, right? It's sort of like a drug-drug interaction for digital when one, you know, gives you this advice and one gives you another another, sort of a a conflicting piece of advice. I, I don't know of any cases where that's like really happened, but I'm sure that it, my, my, my hunch is that it probably uh, has happened. Um, I think that's the nature of working in sort of large, um, complex organizations, uh, especially one that, you know, it's early also in the, in the digital days. And so now by adding in different digital tools, learning, um, uh, we do probably, you know, create this. Um, I will say we have, um, made decisions. Uh, we made a decision a couple of years ago to sunset, uh, pre-visit planning digital health tool because, and while it was great, it, you know, conflicted with the, um, kind of check-in, e-check-in experience that we are having, uh, people getting two messages ahead of a, a visit. And, you know, if I did one, did I not need to do the other, um, and and we had to sunset that, so we had to make a an intentional decision um, to improve the patient experience and simplify it. Even though that meant uh, giving up some very helpful um, functionality. Um, and I can talk a little about the way that we've been solving this. I've been you know waiting for technology to really solve this, but it's really you know it's a socio technical problem. There is some technology to help, but it's also there is a lot of work in in governance and in coordination um, that that I can talk with because that's been our our main strategy um, that we've been working working on. Yeah, let's definitely follow up with that in a minute. The the socio technical issue. We'll definitely cover that some more. Um, Alistair, your thoughts? Yeah, so you know, you would have thought that with all the investment made in platform based you know, uh, electronic health records, you know, sort of this single solution, uh, whether it be Epic or Cerner or Meditech or any of those, that a lot of this would have gotten better. Um, and and in fact, it hasn't. And it, in some cases, I think it's gotten worse. It certainly hasn't solved the patient communication problem by purchasing these tools. 
And part of it is, I think that, you know, the work isn't done. It's not like you put in your electronic health record and now you've covered every aspect of what is necessary for a human to be taken care of. There still needs to be some digital health innovation startups that fill in the niche little spaces. Um, and um, but that engineers a new problem because, of course, everybody is trying to engage and reach the patient. The other thing is, even though, you know, a lot of providers want to reach their patient, the patient has a lot of providers and and patients come in with more than one problem. And you have these communication tools that are, um, you know, based on diabetes or hypertension or uh, chronic kidney disease. Uh, and of course, the patient comes in with significantly more problems than just one. And so this ends up, uh, you know, like Bradley was saying, as peppered, uh, uh, fragmented communication. And um, and it's even worse when, you know, you answer the patient answers those questions, shows up at the clinic and then has to answer them again, because there is not good coordination between what's being collected and what is uh, known, uh, you know, from the front desk staff. And so not only are you answering questions several times, but then you're re-answering them in a, you know, from a purely digital to an analog method. So there's a lot, there's a lot um, that needs to be done. And in terms of how the problem manifests, um, it reminds me a little bit about um, when you build uh, and configure uh, an electronic health record system and you're building decision support, each member of the team, whether they be uh, quality or uh, or compliance or legal or quality, you know, you know, safety, whatever it may be, comes up with a good reason to put an alert in front of a clinician when an order is being placed. And at the end of the day, the clinician all of a sudden, if you're not careful, can end up um, having to click through, you know, 15 alerts before they can actually order whatever they look into order, because each person has a good legitimate reason for putting that alert in front of the person, but their ultimate workflow ends up being very, very uh, deleterious. So um, I think, I think they're, they're, it's a problem that is pervasive. I certainly personally experience it. My wife sends me these every time she receives them because in her mind, I'm the keeper of everything digital in the world. <laughs> and so, um, so I think it's something that we need to spend some time thinking about. Very good. Get your thoughts. Um, well, I want to touch on a few things that you both mentioned, but in terms of how we got here, we're what three decades into the digital transformation of healthcare, starting with the main mainframes and accounting software, and then every other piece of healthcare since then. And Brad, I think you raised a great point around, you know, health systems, these enterprises that you're both part of are a collection of many independent businesses that have their relationships with your patients and service lines. And uh, you are also a brand, right? Just like uh, an airline might be a brand and I might take three connections to get to my destination. And it's important that that brand coordinates and orchestrates that right experience. So I do what they tell them to do. And I think, Alistair, you brought up a really great point, um, your analogy with CDS and alert fatigue, which is a very known problem with physicians, right? If you give too many people too many alerts, you don't know which one they're going to act on and they don't act on the most important one. And I think you're absolutely right. We have the exact same thing going on with patients. We have the patient equivalent of alert fatigue. And we've made so many, you know, uh, the hospitals across the country have made so many investments over the last three decades 
that we now have this alert fatigue problem, but that we're somewhat blind to today. We don't actually know what the problem in is, and the true cost of the problem is conversion. Patients doing what we want them to do. Are you going to show up for your labs? Are you going to take the meds that we prescribed you? You know, there are so many actions that we want patients to take, and it's almost, you know, feels like the problem now is taking an enterprise lens on the entire digital experience. And it's, I don't think it's really a technology problem. It's an operations problem, right? What is the most important thing at Froder or Emory? What do we want the patient to do? And what's 10th on that list? And how do we orchestrate things to get the right outcomes? And that's, uh, you know, no technology vendor is going to fix that, that operational consideration. That's a, that's a big lift. Excellent. All right. Very good. Next question. Um, Alistair, we're going to start with you. What are you doing to get a visibility into what's being communicated to patients? So we know actually, okay, they're getting this many from here and this many from there. Um, what do you think is this le- is the level of awareness of this issue among providers? What is the true cost of this issue on patient compliance, conversion rate scores, et cetera, and the key systems that tend to play a role in patient experience, such as the EHR, a CRM call center? vendors. Um, Your thoughts there? So one of the ways we get to the visibility piece is sadly through patient complaints, Um, meaning that's kind of the tip of the spear when somebody gets frustrated enough where they've gotten eight eight messages about some appointment that they canceled three weeks ago uh, in a system that's asynchronous with, with the cancellation, and they finally complain. So um, and, you know, I think we don't have enough um, uh, enough convenient ways to be able to get feedback um, other than asking for feedback, which in some ways can actually aggravate the scenario of trying to get uh, information from patients. So I think we're likely um, not as aware as we need to be and uh, about the size of the problem. Um And it's not something that we measure well. So therefore, you know, that what you don't measure, you can't see. And so we may be a bit blind to the issue. So I think that the the cost, the opportunity cost um, is a little bit what Guy was saying when in terms of like, once you got to the point where you've got fatigue, you're not looking at anything anymore. And so anything that a differentiation between what's important and what's not important just kind of goes away because you're ignoring everything. And it's going to likely impact conversion rates um, and potentially compliance. If the goal is, for example, to prepare you for a colonoscopy and you're getting some advice on how to prep and so forth, and you're ignoring that stuff, you're going to show up uh, to your appointment unprepared that will get canceled. It's going to be a frustration for everybody involved. Um, uh, In terms of the key systems that play a role, clearly, uh, you know, uh, the electronic health records, I would say um, CRM and, and the deployment of CRMs in healthcare is still fairly novel. I'm not sure to what extent um, that is playing a, a majority role at this point. They probably should play a much, much bigger role because as we may talk about later, there's, there's an approach, a clever approach that can be taken and take advantage of the CRM tool to be able to address. And then clearly the call center uh, is another one, especially on the appointment reminder uh, side. And call center software tends to be quite different than EHR software. And so again, you 
your engineer in a, a system where unless you do a lot of back-end work to keep the two in sync, that you're going to run into trouble. Very good, Brad. Yeah, I, I think that was well well said. I think it is hard to know the uh, the magnitude of the of the um, of the issue. Um, I will say um, one of the reasons that I still uh, see patients is uh, to get that firsthand awareness of what actually is going on because I really you know value that feedback that feedback loop. Um, we've done. Uh, a couple of things which I can talk about to help us inventory, but I will say every time you you kind of make a nice journey map of what are the touch points before a telehealth visit or the touch points before a certain visit, it it ultimately does break down when you get all of that complexity of you know multiple you know d- different campaigns are are going out because someone has multiple uh, visits. I think that's a really you know good and important point. I think. Uh, and this is just my opinion on it, is, is then people kind of fall back into, um, well, how imp- what's important to me right now? Uh, so if it's managing a, um, a uh, you know, a heart failure uh, work and I'm titrating medications um, and I'm making adjustments on a you know daily basis, like that factors in or take anticoagulation management as another example where, you might be doing a home INR every three days, and then doing a, 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 a making a, a change of uh, warfarin uh, when it's when it's still being used. Uh, and you kind of zone in on it, and someone knows that's important, which kind of means that everything else that you may also think important kind of falls into the background. And of course, we always think that everything's important, but you know um, what else is going on in the in the household is also uh you know probably more important than than us um we you know this is now old data but we ran a re- we did a research project that we published in applied clinical informatics maybe a, a decade ago which is so it's now this is an- ancient but we found out that you know when we proactively sent a message like from a doc like me as a doctor sending a message to my patient saying i'm, I'm writing to you know remind you to do x y or z that the read rate for those was 50%. And, and so clearly we're, you know, th- that message is not always, you know, getting, uh, getting a, across and, and why, you know, several of the EHRs have ways of now doing ticklers if you haven't read something so that someone can know to, to call. Um, but I think that like, why I bring this up is that, you know, finding that signal of noise from a person's perspective is pretty challenging, especially when every message is, you have a message, go in and, and read it. Uh, you know, those are now becoming more push notifications to go straight to the message. But historically, those have been pretty bland email messages that I don't know if I'm getting new advice or if I'm being reminded from my flu shot or if I'm uh, being encouraged to, you know, try the, the new um you know, dermatologists that just opened up down the, uh, down the block. Um, so I think all of those kind of factor, you know, all those considerations, you know, factor in, if you think about it from a patient perspective, um, then we get a little bit better, uh, closer to figuring out how to actually achieve the targets like compliance and what we want. And I, I think that the comments around the, you know, the systems I think are are right. I mean, CRMs are just moving into the healthcare 
um, space. We're still trying to figure out how to really use them and how to orchestrate uh, campaigns and work um, with them. But I think there's a lot of um, components that are not even going through going through them. So um, that are clinical in nature. So I, I think that's just an evolving um, target, evolving area. Very good. Gee, your thoughts. Well, I don't want to repeat anything either of you said, but I'd, I'd say that what I've heard from you both in terms of how um, organizations are gaining visibility is very similar to what I heard from both of you, which is, you know, it's it's largely reactive today. And I think one of the things that may be forgotten as organizations make digital investments is we're always thinking about, you know, how it interfaces with our core systems like the EHR, but we're not always having a checklist in that kind of vendor consideration of how is it going to interface with our patients? So CRM, Brad, you just mentioned, that's a great example. And I agree. I think Alistair said it's nascent in terms of its adoption by health systems, but CRM is going to have a massive impact on that, you know, alert fatigue, because you'll be doing pop health outreach, care gaps outreach. You'll be doing, you know, new patient acquisition screeners. We have a new, you know, vaccines are available. Please come in to get your shot. And that's just going to add to the cacophony, cacophony of noise. So I think the key question here is how do we get from reactively hearing of all these things, right? Like your wife, Alistair, my wife is the same, my friends, I have the, we're actually in similar situations, the three of us, you know, you have your, your patients and you have your spouses, your spouse, I should say, hopefully you both only have one spouse. And then um, <laughs> I have, you know, I have, uh, you know, all of our clients and all of my friends and family. And whenever they have a bad experience, they send me screenshots and they go, was this you? And usually some, you know, profanity and why did this happen? Um, and so how do we get from reactive to proactive, right? We're proactive with our data strategy. We're proactive with our integration strategy. How do we do the same thing for communication? Um, so that's been something that's been on my mind for a long, long time, close to a decade, right? How do we give that visibility so you know where the problems are? If it's okay with you, Anthony, I have a follow-on question for Brad, Please. which is in your opening, Brad, you mentioned that you made the decision to sunset a vendor. And I think for a good reason that there was conflict, right? There was e-check-in and there was some sort of prep solution. How did you figure that out? Was that also reactive or was your organization, was there something that helped you identify that? Was it your journey mapping? How did you identify, you know, that, that problem in the patient workflow? Yeah, we did map that out. That was a, an intentional map mapping exercise as we were doing, um, our pre like our visit life cycle. So we had a an experience design at that point where we were looking at the kind of journey from beginning to end. And you know, we've done this, you know, a couple of, of times and it continues to iterate. But we were just about like at that stage, we were gonna then introduce the electronic check-in. And so we were able to see these say, this is not going to work. Um now we the electronic check-in, you know, even now, you know, our, we have about 25, 30% of people um, using it and the rest uh, check-in, you know, conventionally, um, you know, back when we started it, it was vanishingly small numbers. So there weren't a, a ton of conflicts, but the, the, you know, you started to get the signal coming up and that did bubble. So we kind of knew about it. How big of an issue is it hard to get our, our arm around it? Once we had a few, you know, cases of, well, what is this versus that? And we kind of just knew, you know, we're going to have to fold one and one, you know, the data that we were getting 
we're going to have to fold that into the e-check-in process um, so that it is kind of all all contained. We can't have multiple processes um, for the same visit type. So I have a thesis that is, thank, thanks for expanding on that. Um, I have a thesis that this patient journey mapping is so critically important, but it's very labor intensive. And you're not going to be doing that every quarter and your digital landscape is going to change. Uh, you, you both run the shows for your organizations, but there are going to be decisions that get made in OB-GYN and others that you might never see, you know, until later in the chain. So this thesis I have, and I think you just said it, Brad, is around data, right? So my thesis is once we do that patient journey exercise, I think the next step is how do we get all the data from those systems into one place so that we're, they're all normalized and we actually can see visibly what's going on. We can check on it every week, every month. We can look at performance by, by vendor, by solution, by workflow, and then we can start fine tuning, you know, the conflict points. Um, but anyways, I don't know if that resonates, but Alistair, let's bring you in here. Your thoughts. Um, well, so <laughs> I have this interesting, uh, thought that just kind of popped into my head, uh, around the thymus. Are you familiar with this, uh, this gland in the body? The thymus is a really important, um, gland. What it does is it basically trains your T cells um to uh you know your 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 white blood cells are made in your bone marrow they 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 go to your thymus by the time you're 10 years old you probably have all the t cells you'll ever need in your in your life and but before they make themselves to the lymph nodes they go by the thymus and the thymus has a very important job which is to select those white blood cells that do not attack you as the ones that go to lymph nodes. Otherwise, you can imagine releasing all these white cells that would go everywhere and, and, and cause autoimmune problems. Now, so why do I bring that up? Well, there's a bit of a biomimicry concept here where all these messages coming from all these different apps, if we could find some sort of like digital thymus that would basically, even if the app sends out a message, it would basically kill that message before it actually exited the system using some sort of consent database that kind of kept track of the record of the preference um, or let it pass through if indeed it was uh, compatible uh, with uh, the consent that the patient had offered. So one place to be able to track consent, which would basically be, again, this sort of biomimicry way of thinking about the world, uh, you know, what the thymus is doing. And then, and then just even though you may have uh, messages and apps that conform to what the patient wants and other apps that an OBGYN department has put together and doesn't conform to that, that you use this tool to be able to track, monitor, and then manage the traffic that comes out uh, of your system. Gay, what do you think about that? The digital thymus. I like that. <laughs> I think we need to update our homepage. I like it. That's uh, it. That's it. <laughs> From Artera, now it's going to be digital thymus. No, it's, it's a hairy problem. I mean, and it's. I think what what we've heard from from these co panelists is that this is so nuanced. It's not three solutions, right? It's it's all these different service lines, all their unique workflows, and these service lines may disagree with what's more or less important. You have cardiology and oncology who are both treating a patient at the same time. How do you decide? what's most important to the patient. I don't think you'll ever get the cardiologist and oncologist to, to agree on what should happen first. If I can only tell the patient one thing, how do you manage that conflict? And there we go. It's the thymus, I guess. We have to invent yeah. that. Well, and like you said, it's situational. So at, at 
any given point in time, given the patient's condition, one or the other may may deserve priority in messaging. And that could change, you know, day by day. I'm, not, I'm certainly no physician, but Brad, um, that makes it even hairier, it sounds like. Yeah, I like the, I, I love the, um, whenever we have an opportunity to kind of look at nature to help us solve problems, because it, it's one that you have multiple different inputs and um, you need to weight them and um, and and process them and you when you process them you you take their you take their weights um, un- unfortunately you know we don't quite yet have that digital thymus or that integrator to basically say you know uh, you have three inputs here of a high weight and one input of a low weight. So let's, the signal here is the three inputs, you know, it's still patient gets, you know, both, both of them, they look kind of similar. Um, I think we, I think that's needed. That's where it also comes to socio-technical is that the technical is going to have a really hard time solving all of, all of this. I mean, frankly, it's again, not just a, a digital problem, but we, as clinicians give patients, you know, conflicting information all the time is part of the reason why as a primary care doctor, I have a job is to, you know, help people, you know, interpret the signals that they're getting from, from specialists and, uh, and, um, and make a plan. Um, so it's, it's hard and it is labor intensive. And I think we have to realize that we're going to have some error, error bounds, uh, around it. Why doesn't it exist? Right, we've had interface servers for decades. We've been investing in tech for probably 30 years. Oh, what a great question. So why doesn't it exist? So, you know, under normal circumstances, even you'd want to be able to syndicate this information to each and every different app, you know? So um, imagine if there was a standard about the patient preference. And even if you look at the FHIR standards, and actually I went and looked this up, uh, because I'm like, there's got to be a fire standard out there that talks about a resource, uh, communication resource, and there is, and that talks about the patient preference, uh, you know, aspect of it, but there's not. And so part of the issue ends up being, we don't have a unified data model for healthcare. We don't have a standard on how uh, that connects between various different applications. And so it's really hard to to Bradley's point of syndicating this information from one source of truth to all the other potential applications. And then from a from a you know organizational chaos uh perspective, you don't know when or the orthopedic um department has necessarily decided to pick something they saw at the latest uh conference and put that in front of their patient because they want to do something innovative and clever. And so without knowing that, those messages are coming out. And even if you did have a syndicated method of doing that, you may not be able to capture those. So I think it's a it's a combination of the lack of standards um, and the lack of a model uh, and a syndication model and the fact that, you know, we're trying, we're at the edge of innovation and we need to try different things out, but then that, you know, can, can cause um, some scrambling, uh, you know, at, at the edges. Just to build on that yep. real quick, I, Go ahead. I I think that is the lack of a standard data model is is really Im, Im, important here. Um, 
And I want to take it just like one fine point on that is yes, yes, we have, you know, now we can represent resources like data as, as fire resources and we can pull them from all different, you know, kinds of, uh, of uh, systems, you know, and the fire is sort of system ag- agnostic. But when it comes to like actually transacting in, in healthcare, um, we don't really, we don't have the common, you know, we have common uh, syn- syntax we uh, for interfaces, but we don't have necessarily the common, you know, semantic format for things like communication preferences or scheduling of uh, scheduling and, and some of this. So I do think that that needs to be um, evolved and, you know, for the promise of, of fire, when it comes down to like actually doing real work, it, it's, we still have not, you know, cracked that. And forgive me if I'm wrong, but if I'm wrong, but there's no like fire standard for communication payloads, you know, no, that, that's the point. There's, well, there is fire standards for communication uh, it's called a communication resource, but it only um, is a payload for content. It's not a payload for preference. Right. So um, that's the missing piece. You know, it, it, each each patient preference tool in each app is independent of each other and doesn't doesn't lend itself to proper syndication. And that would only get you part of the way, right, Alistair? That would give you the visibility, right? If you had a standard, you would know what's going on. There's a layer above that, I think either you or Brad use the word traffic control, like there's the actual, you need rules on top of the standards once the standards are in place. It sounds like we don't even have the standards yet, so we can't even talk about rules yet. Correct. All right. Oh, good stuff there. Good stuff. Okay. Um, Brad, let's, uh, let's start with you. How can those with fragmented patient communications improve the situation? Uh, how much of the fix can be technology and how much uh, can be governance? You used the term socio-technical. I think that's what you're referring to. And who are the key individuals that folks like yourself need to communicate with to start tackling this problem? Um, I can tell you our our approach. It's, uh, you know, in a one healthcare system, but you know, just as a reference to anybody listening can, um, can, uh, compare and contrast with theirs. Uh, we, you know, a few years ago, it, it was honestly, when we did this, you know, who makes the decision to sunset this tool and, and air traffic control, um, uh, we didn't have anybody really looking at patient communication. We had marketing that you looked at outbound marketing primarily for um, uh, people who are not necessarily established patients in our community. We had uh, population health. Uh, we had the individual, um, you know, cl- clinics. We had our digital innovation products, um, and we formed a. Uh, governance group to do as much air traffic control as they could with things that we could get our hands around and know about. Um, so that sits under our broader uh, digital engagement steering uh, group. And we have basically the pe- people who are responsible for sending the messages and the business stakeholders um, in the key areas that communicate frequently with patients, you know, sit around and and try to map map things so that there's a little bit of 
logic to everything. So, you know, Epic and the, uh, we're, we run Epic. So, um, the analysts that do their interop and the patient messaging and the my charts, uh, that do the campaigns, um, we were an early um, user of campaigns, particularly in, in COVID, which is the Epic product um, around messaging. They folded into their CRM um, work. Um, our digital team, our digital support team, because they're usually the first people to get called by uh, by patients if, if something is confusing. Um, and our, if I didn't say it, our, our population health team that kind of lines up, lines up everything's so they meet, I think, every two weeks to look at the schedule of what is going out from planned work. And then when there are new campaigns or new activities, new applications, they do come to that group. Um, you know, it doesn't solve everything, but it helps um, if we know that it's going to have a message that goes with patients. My worry, I give you the, the two things I get worried about. Um, one is that the process gets, you know, slow because that means we have to kind of stop and think. And I think most other digital companies, um, you know, are a lot faster at sending proactive uh, messages and relevant messages than we are because we still do have a, a fairly manual manual process. And that, and that, uh, you know, to, um, you know, by putting together a, by by sort of centralizing things that also does limit some of the the innovation uh, uh, that we could have. Now, I mentioned that we do have an innovation uh, subsidiary um, and we do run all of the digital therapeutics through that group and we run that group as a product-led group. So we do try to run that with speed and not have, you know, committee um, committee running, running that uh, you know, really slow things down. Um, um, but, you know, it still has to integrate into the, you know, to the uh, mothership, so to speak. And that is just a slow, um, a slow burn for that. I think we've looked at technology. We, um, we do run a, we do have a cloud engagement uh, system that, you know, was maybe a couple of years ago, kind of on the lines of becoming a, a home built CRM. I, I think it's really impossible now for a healthcare system to really do that, do that well. So, you know, we're really taking a second look at that, but it enabled us to do segmentation to send out, um, to send out messages. And, but we kind of came to that point of needing an integrator and then not really having a, a way to really practically get our hands around how to actually funnel things, uh, funnel things uh, through. Um, and so, you know, still, we love a digital thymus and we'll be on the lookout for, for one. Um, but we kind of have just some manual processes right now trying to in, keep things, you know, uh, in check as much as possible. Alistair? So I, I think there, you know, there are three ways to go about this. I mean, there's probably more, but there's three that come to mind. I think um, one is this idea that um, you you figure you have a central place where you keep track of uh, of the preference, um, and and then again you sort of try to distribute that in some way um, to all the various different uh, apps that are that are sending messages, and you keep some central means to be able to handle the consent um, um, aspect of things. My chart 
if you're an Epic client, does that to some extent, but uh, in terms of collecting that information and so forth, but only for Epic. And so uh, the challenge obviously ends up being with what we do with every every other one. So and then we got this digital thymus concept, which is, you know, so the messages go out independent of 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 uh, of the consent, but they get killed on the way out. And I suppose a third way is just ignore the problem and pepper the patient full of messages, uh, <laughs> which is which is kind of what happens today to some extent. Um, and and so I think in terms of trying to think about who's involved, you know, uh, looking at the whole patient journey um, from before the patient is even considered while the patient is still the consumer um, and trying to decide where to go. So you got, you know, strategists, transformation people, then you got the healthcare marketing folks who are very savvy with with SOE and and web and uh, you know campaigns that they track and monitor who's converting who's con- and so forth, and then there's the contact center um, and the experience uh, patient experience folks. And there's a bit of a break there because there's not continuity between somebody who's a consumer pre patient to a patient, um, and, and then there'll be uh, whoever is configuring the digital application um, like Epic and and others. There'll be, uh, you know, uh, text IT engineers, departmental leaders, quality improvement folks, you know, even HIM that needs to be able to keep track of, of, um, of the demographic information. Um, you know, there's, there's the legal folks that get involved because, of course, there's the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, so you can't actually go off and send text random, randomly to folks as their HIPAA issues. So you have to make sure what you put in the text isn't going to somehow, uh, you know, let, let, folks know what's going on. So it is, there's a, you know, I've rattled off, you know, over 12 uh, sets of people. No wonder people are choosing option three to ignore the problem and pepper the patient. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my dentist is taking that approach because I get a three-week out reminder of the appointment, which I think is really not that helpful. It's three (laughs) weeks away. That's even worse. I get a snail mail every three days that my dog's overdue. By the way, I took her in last week. The mailers are still coming in. It's driving me nuts. And and it makes me think that they must make so much money off of me yeah. that I need to find a new vet. That uh-huh. is literally like the, the I, I literally am thinking of changing vets because they're going so crazy. Um, now, go ahead. You can't turn that off. That's right. Now, if I can make a comment on what you said, Alistair, I think you're so spot on. I was on site with a health system yesterday and um, that's a customer of ours. And I realized that there was a problem on the governance side of things. Um, There are so many stakeholders here. You can't just have the contact center own this, which is the situation that I was in. I was meeting with the CIO and the CIO had no idea what was going on in the contact center, right? You have marketing, right? You have IT, you have the, the analysts, you have the whole operation side, the practice administrators from every single clinic. I think there's a piece here where you almost operationally I don't know that there's any way around a governance committee like you were describing, Brad, because there are just too many stakeholders involved in that patient's journey, pre-patient, post-patient, somebody you're trying to acquire, you know, in in a specific disease state where they need to be treated. Um, so I think that's the operations is so critically important. And if this happens in silos, it'll never get fixed. And it's a situation most systems deal with, which is, well, <laughs> it's a problem we can't see. So we're not, you know. We're going to pretend there isn't a problem here. 
Uh, Brad, let's talk a little bit about that uh, shadow IT. That's a problem all CIOs deal with, uh, things being bought outside of order, normal governance channels. Uh, sometimes you have departments. You know, you, you use the great expression of, of uh, health systems operate. They're sort of individual business entities that are supposed to operate together. Uh, but often there's budgets that they have control of, and there's tools that are purchased, IT tools that don't go through proper channels. Maybe CIOs and CISOs find out about it after the fact, have to try and deal with it after the fact. It doesn't fit in with the architecture. It's duplicative of things we have. We've got huge trends around application rationalization to try and save money, improve security. Um, but when this is just as much a problem overall, but it's definitely a problem for patient messaging too, right? These you said we sunset, we saw a conflict, we sunset one. Well, the next thing you know, another one popped up over here. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, it it requires a lot of of coordination. Um, and this is I th I think, you know, where the business and the technologists, you know, have to come have to find some common ground and and relationship here. So what I, what I mean by that is, you know, from the technologist perspective, it's everything. It, it's easy if everything just uses, you know, let's say your your mainline EHR and everything goes goes through that. Uh, from the business side, you know that some things are maybe not ready to all just be uh, going through the EHR. You have those other niche use cases, as, as Alistair was men mentioning, but you have to develop some, you know, line of line of sight around that in our clinical governance you know our patient communications is is chartered under that so it does have a direct line up uh and goes directly you know through those uh through those channels so that you know when something is decided it goes gets put into the clinical informatics and the information technology pieces um i i will say for us we do you know, have those different systems. I think Alistair may be a little bit different having, you know, the CIO and the CDO all under, under him, but, but as the, as the CDO, you know, I do have my own, own budget for this, but we kind of have it, it clear that in the patient communications and patient facing, that's something that, you know, our, our team manages, but, you know, it, it's a very, you know, very frequent uh, coordination and connection with the, with the IT um, counterparts. And, you know, I'd say our digital side, we exist to push things um, forward to make sure that we have, you know, the, we do deliver the clinical outcomes uh, that we, that we need to deliver and that we deliver the patient experience that we need to deliver in order to, uh, remain competitive and to to be the best uh, healthcare providers we can be. All right, very good. I have a couple audience questions I want to get in front of the panel. Um, let's put this one in front of Alistair first. Uh, what are some challenges slash opportunities the healthcare community is facing in regards to pediatric patient communications where communication goes to the proxy guardian or parent instead of the actual patient? Yep. Yeah, that becomes, um, it's less of an issue when the patient is, you know, five years old and much more of an issue when the patient is 14 years old or 15 years old during that adolescent uh, time frame. And it depends on their state laws that are different from state to state. So it becomes a very complex issue. I and mean, this, this also happens 
you know, even with access to the portal and proxy access to the portal and what information in a health system is allowed to divulge uh, in the portal only to the patient or to the proxy who may be a parent. And a lot of systems just don't release much in, in those circumstances, systems just don't either communicate or release information uh, in the way that you would, you would hope. It's a, it's a, it's a definitely a major problem. Uh, again, in the adolescent population, I think the thing to do uh, to try to, to try to address it is, is to put the trade-off of the balance between trying to get the information out uh, and communicate um, with, with the parent uh, or the child versus trying to keep the privacy as this young adult is becoming their own independent um, private uh, person. And just if you can put those two uh, clearly uh, in front with the experience of pediatricians and child life specialists and, you know, um, other uh, other folks that are part of the pediatric um, and adolescent community, I think that's that's a good way to go about it. Anybody else want to weigh in on that? Brad, Gee? I would just say that um, it is state by state. It's super nuanced. And if you're at a system that crosses state lines or on a border somewhere, it gets even more complicated. In in my experience, the best way to handle this is to treat the age up period for that patient in terms of the state laws as a new deadline for collecting consent, right? Patient ages up, there needs to be some sort of workflow to collect that consent. It could be digital, it could be in person, it could be in the next visit, but there needs to be some sort of workflow that's fired when that patient ages into the, that new bracket where they control their own, you know, um, access to information. That's a great idea. Very good. Okay. Uh, next audience question. Brad, can you clarify, did the study show a higher engagement from patients when the message was sent by a provider? Can you give an example of the type of verbiage used? Uh, well, the, the the study that I was referencing um, it was... Uh, it's an applied clinical informatics and it was, they were all messages from providers. So the question that we were looking at was if you're, you know, in the sea of emails that everybody gets, if your uh, doctor or nurse practitioner actually wanted to get a hold of you, which is what I may do in the, in the clinic, I say, I saw that you were here for this, you know, tell me how you're doing or, you know, you're due for X, Y, Z. Um, that in those cases, only half of the time did a person log in and and read those. So you need some kind of, you know, redundancy was one of the take homes that that we had. I I just think you know now and you know today's day and age it, it is um, something that we're all bombarded by by messages, and so the the lesson there is if you need a closed loop. We need a way of tracking that and making sure that 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 communication is closed loop. Not everything needs to be closed loop, but certainly certainly things around, you know, you had an abnormality on your scan that you're due for follow up. It really needs to be, you know, closed closed loop. And Brad, if I may, healthcare is a unique industry where we have natural barriers to engagement, right? For for good reasons, security, privacy. So your example, logging in. I mean, this is. You know, growing up in Silicon Valley, 
you give a patient a link, you give a consumer a link, you get a 50% drop off instantly because it's a barrier, right, to getting the information. And this is, this brings us right back to consent. It's why consent is so important, right? You know, I believe that we should have a second or third layer of consent, which is I actually consent to receiving personal information over free text. I, I'm one of those people. Not everybody is, but I'm one of those people. I don't want the barrier to entry. I've got nothing to hide. I'm willing to take the risk personally. If you need to see me, if you have a diagnosis, just tell me. You know, just don't don't, don't hide it between the portal under the portal login that I don't remember. By the way, I've seen seven different clinics on my chart. So if I log into your app, it's going to give me seven clinics to log into. I don't remember the password for any of them, <laughs> right? So I'm going to call. So for some patients, it'll work perfectly. But for others, I think this is all about patient choice. And, you know, there are additional dimensions to lowering barriers and getting better outcomes, I think. I think that's right. I mean, there's, there's, um, we'll often, you know, take the security rule is, I mean, the security rule, the HIPAA security rule is the HIPAA security rule. But I, I think that, you know, pe- people, there is a, a room in there to, you know, be communicated with in the channel and manner that that you want to on an individual level. And I think we do have to be a lot more granular uh, with understanding those preferences and then um, being very explicit around consent and, and doing that in a way that, um, you know, that OCR and everybody else really you know, says, yes, we, we agree with, but I, I, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, it has to, we have to move into that, into that space. I have seen a couple of other, you know, other areas, if you can have someone's identity validated in other ways, you can kind of deep link people in, you know, fairly quickly to, to see things or have, uh, and that's also why we've had a mobile first strategy, um, is if we have someone where we can store their login credentials and their biometrics and we can reduce the friction actually seeing what the what the message is um password lists and other things will come up but but i think even the the you just need to know like is this something i need to deal with today or is this something that you know i can wait a, a, a few days i know you know at the end of the month when i get a, a my chart message um from my care team I know it's my pharmacist about to ship out my, you know, next round of medications and it's not urgent, but like every once in a while, that could be something else. And I'm, you know, I just don't know. Uh, so I, I agree. I think we have to um, find a, 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 a balance. And I think that, you know, I'd love to see, you know, a clear um, community wide effort on, you know, saying, yes, we, we believe that, you know, data should be encrypted and that's the default. Uh, but if someone really says, you know, this is, you're making it really hard for me that people have optionality. Yeah. All right. We're just about out of time. I want to have a, a lightning round of last minute practical piece of advice for a colleague of yours grappling with this issue and saying, give me just one thing to start with. Uh, Alistair, let's start with you. Well, before we get to that, can I can of I understand from Guy? Of course. How Artera is going to address any of the topics that we talked about today? Yeah. Well, thank you. That's nice. <laughs> Look, I um, we we started <laughs> ten years ago as a communications company, and people thought of us as a channel where you could send messages to patients. My mission ten years ago, I was a patient. I was an acute patient who was going to see specialists every single day. And I was dealing with the cacophony of noise and the alert fatigue that we've been talking about. My vision 10 years ago was about creating an open standard for communication 
so that you know we can route things through one channel and we can build the rules and orchestration on top of it. It just so happens that's a lot harder to build than I thought. Um, so we're actually in the process of repositioning the way we talk and think about our Terra, and it's much more about analytics than it's about sending the message, right? We have um, a completely new system now where I can integrate the data from any vendor in your tech stack, and I can show you in one analytics dashboard what's going on, right? I, I can show you a list of the 30 patients. You know, I was with a client, like I said yesterday, there was a patient who got 33 automated communications in one day. By the way, that's that's from 30% of their portfolio of vendors. There's another 70% we haven't integrated yet. So once you understand where the problem is, you can dive in and go, what happened with patient Mary, right? Oh, well, she she's an oncology patient. She had five things happen in one day, all these things fired. Let's create a new orchestration rule. If a patient comes in for multiple visits, hold everything back, bundle it together, give her an after-visit summary and make that one communication store instead of many. So we're very much taking the visibility angle. We're, you know, we want to be your, your, your analytics company. So you build that governance group. And then, you know, we are the, the technology tool, which is a small part of it, but that guarantees that all that digital transformation that you've done, you have visibility forever into what's going on. Your group can look at that dashboard every two weeks and go, here was our number one problem. Let's figure out how to fix it. And over time, we'll build out the rules and air traffic controls so that you can deliver that ideal experience. But I believe in let you buy the best of breed solutions that you want, just give you the visibility and eventually the orchestration. So we're definitely going through a pivot in terms of how we talk about the company and what's most important. It took us 10 years. I mean, I had to build relationships with 100 different healthcare IT vendors. I had to figure out how do I make a standard when there is no standard, right? When a company sends a payload one way, when you've got web chat on the website, when you've got an app, when you've got phone calls, I mean, when you've got snail mail going out, I'm giving you visibility. What I want to do is give folks like you visibility into Guy got three snail mails in the last week. He was on the phone with an agent for 10 minutes today, and you're about to send him five texts. Right. Should you like that? So that, that you know, Anthony, that kind of is the, the one liner that I would say is you're better off not communicating than pissing off your patient with communications that are going to frustrate them. So that's the trick. I think the, the idea is, of course, the ideal is to coordinate, synthesize, summarize and 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 collect consent and make sure that the patients have um that we respect their 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 preferences absent that you're better off reducing the communication than doing too much and frustrating your patients perfect brad i'd say uh you know everybody has this issue and problem um and i think it my my parting words would be you know, consider it, um, do what you can. Don't feel like you need to go straight to the digital thymus, but, you know, where you can start with some basic coordination, um, do that. And I think we have, there are lots of stakeholders. This is a, an area where, again, it's it's socio-technical um, and get, find some place to get to get started would be my advice. Yeah, you will give you the last word. You know, I'm going to bring it back to Alistair. He said a quote earlier today, that which you don't measure, you can't see. Um, I, I really believe that there's the governance piece, but supporting governments needs to be a really clear, unified analytics strategy. That's where we're investing our efforts. And this has been a really rewarding conversation. Thank you, gentlemen. Really appreciate it. Excellent. Well, that's about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get in 
Email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and go to our website to register for upcoming panels. With that, I want to thank our tremendous conversation today, Dr. Alistair Erskine, Dr. Brad Crotty, and Guy Dizwerick. I want to thank Artera for making the event possible and you for attending. With that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Mm -hmm.